Todd has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen, he doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. God's elect know the time when judgment day is coming. But the unbelievers, they don't know the time. You're listening to The God Whispers. God's elect know the time. That's why you're listening. You are the elect of God. <laughs> Evidence to The God Whispers. Evidence of your election. You're listening to The God Whispers. Yes, I like it. I am Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swirla, and we are the manly doctors of divinity. The most interesting men in Lutheranism. No, the most interesting Lutherans in the world. Both. Ah, can't can't have one without the other. Can I suppose that's true? The irreverent reverence of religiosity, and all of that good stuff. Disturbing yet compelling. This is our Pentecost edition, airing Monday after the feast of Pentecost. So we'll have stuff to say about that. Eventually. What tongue will you be speaking in? Today? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm working know. on English. That, yeah, English. That be I'd, be, I'd be happy. I'd be happy with just acceptable English. At you know this what? Point. I, I better silence my cell phone. Oh, it is silenced. No, Before things go off the reservation here, as they usually do. I don't know so, where mine is at the moment. <laughs> if you want to call us on the Skype number. By the way, we did have a Skype call, and I went and checked the message, which was fantastic, and it was just dead air. It was <laughs> like 15 seconds of well, nothing, is it, which is very appropriate, I that, thought. You know, that, that really is. that. That's, that's part of God Whisperer's lore right there, you know, <laughs> where you just kind of... Just dial, 15 seconds of dead air. That's what it's all about. dead air. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that Skype number is area code 626-593-7713 or Manly Doctors 13. When Swirla is, hey, today is the 13th. One of our best Skype calls ever. That was fantastic. Yeah. You know, this is airing. Today's the, the 13th, and we are Manly Doctors 13. There seems to be some sort of harmonic convergence going on out there. I, I don't I, know. I, you almost wonder what Harold Camping would make of that. I'm That's thinking what... this is the day, folks. <laughs> right. This is it. Airing the, but it's not the 13th. It's, it's actually somewhat before the 13th. That we're recording, but it will be airing on the 13th. <laughs> details, details, details. So we probably won't be raptured while we're recording this, but maybe while you're listening to this. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Something will disappear somewhere. We're sure of it. Usually my keys. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right now my cell phone's disappeared. So at some point we're going to have to dial that up and see exactly where that is. <laughs> what, 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 what about the mailbag? You got anything? Oh, the, the mailbag. mailbag or, or how was, do people was, uh, was, send stuff to the skimming mailbag? skimming something else here. Let's see. Stop looking at that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, I'm just you're taking a Wiener Gate over I, there. Aren't I you? am. I really am. Can't beat that. Um, <laughs> you can email us at godwhispers at gmail.com. And of course, the mothership, the podcast site, the place where it all happens, the archive of archives, the, uh, the bottomless pit of despair, the endless thread of religion right there is uh, godwhispers.com or .org. We're on Facebook. Yeah, we've got a new endless thread going on there. Not as good as the endless. There's an endless thread. You're part of that group that exists because that this is the face group, Facebook group that 
nobody would invite me to or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. With 1,300 comments. All I had to do was invoke. The endless the, thread. The God Whispers endless thread. And the gauntlet was thrown. <laughs> but they will never, because because they don't have the young earth creationists to compete with. Ah, yes. In terms of just yes. endless, endless, endless commentary. Well, I, I'm going to the God Whispers at Facebook to see what we're at. We now are up to 350 comments on the <laughs> Manly Doctors of Divinity, the most interesting Lutherans in the world. When they were born, their mothers thanked them. They licensed James Bond to kill. <laughs> that was mine. The, the, there's some good ones in there. Yeah, there are some. That, that's um, aren't you aren't you going to have our, our buddy Steve record like the top 20 of the. Uh, the most interesting Lutherans in the world. One of these days, we'll get around to that. <laughs> One of these days. So uh, in our hearts, we have to uh, someday answer to God. <laughs> well, see, that's that's right. We need to remember that that we're one of these days we're going to have to answer to God. You think? It's yeah. finally a final reckoning. <laughs> hey, we're going to do that. I'm doing this. And as I said, I love bacon. I made changes not only for my health sake. I made changes to honor God. And as I said, I love bacon. And as I said, I love bacon. And as I said, I love bacon. Amen. Because amen, we all amen. know that there is such a thing as sin. <laughs> if we're going to do camping, no. we got to have the proper background not, music. Please, I'm begging you. Not Larry Norman. <laughs> um, so anyway, now we're just wasting time, aren't we? But we enjoy it. Yeah, that's true. You know, I was I was listening to that that Harold camping episode again, and just cracking up at my desk. <laughs> Harold is an endless source of entertainment. <laughs> it's just, it really is amazing because you can just click anywhere on that interview, and 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 it just there's there's gold. No matter where you you ra- click on that interview, it's just gold. It's random absurdity. Uh, from the mailbag, Josh writes, great show. You guys are talking about the service you guys are doing. I don't know what he's talking about Thanks, there. Josh. Just stop there now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, talking about the Vita service. That's uh, Yaroslav Vita, I think. Vita Vita Vegemin. <laughs> the Veggie Tales. Now, uh, hopefully I spelled that right. Uh, yes, you did, actually. It's a really short service, but I noticed this last Sunday. That, here it is now. This is just, it's missing the confession and absolution that I'm used to hearing. I just want to get your thoughts on no confession absolution in the divine service. Uh, Manly Dr. D'Onofrio, what do you, what do you think of... Uh, I, no I was for it before I was against it. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> that works in other contexts. Why not here? Um, I, you know, I, I, I vacillate on the whole public uh, absolution thing. It, it, sometimes Vacillating can be a slippery business. Yes, yes, especially if you use Vaseline while you're vacillating. Uh, Sometimes it's kind of like baptism with a fire hose, as someone sitting across the table from me once it said. It is. Uh, and it it can kind of go the way of the ex opera operato, and I, I kind of have Wait, a hard define time. That, define that for our uneducated. The, the very doing for, of the thing. For that, our listeners from Rio Linda. The magical, <laughs> the magical incantation that occurs by the very doing of the thing. So it is just the thing that forgives you, not... The, not the actual forgiveness of sins in Christ that's right. going on. And so, you know... It, it but, would be like confusing the instrument with God. 
Right, right. And so one, so, of, one so, of the biggest so things baptism, that I have baptism is... baptism saves you because God saves you through baptism, not because baptism saves you. Right, right, right. <laughs> That'll get letters. So one of the biggest <laughs> problems that I have with it is simply that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess about 50% of the people in the pews really aren't even paying attention when they say the words in confession, mm-hmm. where they're, yeah, I've sinned against God in thought, word, and deed, I... I haven't loved my neighbor. I don't love God. Blah 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 blah. Now give me absolution, mm-hmm. and you know. Whereas private confession and absolution, when that occurs, you hear a true confession of someone's sin. They're coming because they're actually feeling the weight of their sin bearing on them. And so it's, it's just kind of one of those things where it's good, but it could be better. I think. Yeah, the the Lutheran Church Father Wilhelm Leia of the 19th century, he had he had qualms of conscience about that whole business too. Yeah, and and so in his absolution formulas, he actually also has a retention of sins. So you know, to to those who believe and repent of their sins, I forgive you all of your sins. To those who do not believe and do not repent, I retain all of your sins. Nice. You know, and so it was a, the the full <laughs> double edged sword there, which you know, I mean, that that's actually not bad. The that's not bad the at problem, all. The problem with that, the, what, what's, what's the problem with that? Is where, where, where then is your attention drawn? Yeah, well, Do probably, I believe, do I really repent? Am I sincere? Yada, yada. How do I know that this forgiveness is for me? You know, all I'm of a sudden, not sincere enough. Yeah. It and, becomes and so the it, altar call kind of thing. It goes back into that contritionism, pietism thing. Yeah. You know? And, and so, so there's a danger. With it. it sounds good. You know, but it, it leaves it kind of leaves it in the hands of the person whether they fit into category A or category B, and you know you've got two types. You always have two types that that, that deal with this. Um, uh, it's like the, the the twin reactions to the law. There are people who are utterly crushed, and they will th- their consciences are so sensitive that they will feel that they are never fully repentant. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So there's no comfort in that. When they hear, you know, if you are not sincere, you do not repent, you don't believe, I retain all of your sins, they will identify with that second category, even though, ironically, not ironically, but they belong in the first category. You are correct. Yeah. And, I, and I think if I were to hear it, I would probably be in the second category there where I, you know, I would say, well, I had don't know if I'm sincere enough. And, and then you have that second category, the smug hypocrite, who doesn't even consider that he might be in the second category, but naturally assumes that he's one of the sincere, repentant believers because, hey, after all, he's been a Lutheran all his life. You know? And so, so you get... You get it, it, that, it's like a right idea that, that goes wrong. Have you ever had someone come and, and tell you that uh, you don't make them feel sorry enough for their sins? Yeah, I used to. Occasionally, you get those people who are like, they, you know what scares me? Or, or, it, it, this is a similar thing as the people who will talk about a sermon, and they'll say, man, the pastor really just beat the crap out of us in that sermon. And then, <laughs> and then, and then he forgave our sins, and it was so sweet, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, is preaching like this exercise in, in spiritual sadomasochism or something <laughs> where, you know, we just got to just, oh, man, I was just wounded by the law. And, and they almost talk about it like they enjoyed the experience, you know. And it's, it's, a, it's a little bit like it's Christian S&M going on there or something. Uh, it's like, oh, the, the law really cut me. You know, anybody who talks like that probably hasn't been cut by the law. You don't go around, you don't go around bragging about that. You, you know, I mean, well, I, I go into hiding. When, when, I'm, I, when I'm cut by the law, when I really feel the law, dude, I don't want to pull the covers off, off my head in the morning. It's like I'm just <laughs> hiding. Well, when I first became a Lutheran, there was an old retired pastor that would do services every other Wednesday night at a certain church. 
And uh, I would go and hear him, and he was a fantastic preacher. I mean, very excellent law and gospel preacher. But he did actually preach the law in a way that made you feel like a human turd. I mean, it just... <laughs> well, Walter, and, I mean, that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Walter talks about preaching the law in all its severity. Right, and, yeah. and, but his gospel was equally as sweet. And that's the key. I mean, yeah. that, that's, good, that's good law gospel polarity. Right, and, and so, you know, I, I, ca- I can see, and, and I have rejoiced in knowing this guy can reduce me to a heap of ashes, but he can also give me that sweet balm of the gospel. Right. Well, where, where I have, I, I'm not quarreling with that. I mean, that, that's obviously, we, and we talked about that longer in these episodes about distinction of law and gospel and the law and all of its severity, the gospel and all its sweetness. What, what I'm just talking about are the, the people who are kind of like connoisseurs of it. You know, these, mm. these are like the foodies of sermons. And it's like, you know, man, did I get beaten up by the law and that sermon? And they actually, it seems like they enjoyed the experience. Well, like, I've never found, I've never found a well-targeted sentence of law to be enjoyable in the least. Well, no, and, and, in fact, no matter how good the gospel was that followed it, it was still just terrifying. And likewise, I have known pastors that are so gracious that a teaspoon of the law does more to grieve my soul than a, a ton of the law right. from others. Right. Yeah, and that's that's a good point too. My my supervisor on Vickers, the the, the sainted Harold Brockoff, was a genius because he he'd never bludgeon you with the law. With him, the law was like a surgical scalpel, hmm. and so he'd never inflict more of a wound than was absolutely necessary. And it always it was always in a healing purpose. I mean, after all, the purpose of the law is is not to create despair. The purpose of the law is a prelude for the gospel. It's, right. it's, it's to show the, us our need for a savior. Yeah, it's the pent ultimate syllable, but the final right. syllable of the word of God is the gospel. But he was brilliant because he understood that the you know the average religious person has learned how to tune out the law. Interesting. And so he it, his law was subversive, and and he had all kinds of of. Uh, just, just great ways in the sermon of making you kind of relax, and you know, you're just listening to the story, or he's talking about himself, and boom! All of a sudden, you just get nailed, and you realize he's talking about you. Hmm. And it was great, it, I mean, it, but that takes a really deep knowledge of people, and I think a deep understanding of of how the law works. Hmm. You know, that it's 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 not a blunt object. It, you know, we're not clubbing people over the head. This is this is it's it's surgical steel. And and that and and he respected that. I respected him for it. Uh, back to confession and absolution, yep, yep, yep. though. Um, so one solution to this public absolution was Leah's solution, and that is to have a public uh, um, retention of sins that corresponds for those who don't believe and don't sincerely repent and have no desire to amend their trashy, sinful lives. Um, and I do see the drawback in that. Yeah. And so yeah, I think it's right on paper, but I think it it. Uh, it, it it leaves in the hands of the hearer which categories and that's the beauty of private confession. See, private confession leaves it in the hands of the pastor, not in the hands of the hearer. The right. hearers say, "I don't deserve to be forgiven." Pastor says, "Oh yes, you do." Yeah. Or yeah. Oh yes, you yeah you do deserve to be forgiven. See, that's that's one of those paradoxes that exists in the Christian faith is that the man who says I'm not worthy to come to the la- the table is the he's only worthy. one worthy to come to the table. <laughs> That's right. He, he's and, got it. <laughs> and the guy who's there by right needs to go away. Yeah, well, That's... maybe. You know, it's like, yeah, the, the, the guy who's asserting his right to be there, right. uh, he's got a big problem. Yeah. And, and Jesus, when you look at the way Jesus deals with, with that, I mean, the people who are truly broken, 
Um, you know, he's compassionate, merciful. The, the, the people who are kind of like quizzing him, testing him, you know, just kind of playing around with him, man, he just hammers the daylights out of him. Yeah, you know? he sure does. And then he does the weird thing where he takes somebody who's broken, like the Canaanite woman, and then steps on her just kind of like for the heck of it. <laughs> but I think he, not right to feed the dogs, lady. <laughs> yeah, but I think he knew what was going to happen there. Yeah, I, I think he, he was on to it. Well, he, he's the Lord. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, he's yeah. got he's got insight you and I don't. So, like, don't try this at home. I, I love Nagel on that. That uh, you know, he says that uh, she held Jesus to his word and knew that he was the kind of Jesus that only he is. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Now, you know, the, the historical fact is that here's, I mean, the history, thumbnail history of confession absolution, it started out as a public right, um, but it was public for the big ones. So you did something like so heinous, so community disruptive, so just, you know, it's the kind of, at the level of 1 Corinthians 5, you got the so guy it's, sleeping it's with the his mother It's the public Maya thing. Exactly. Yeah. And it was a way of showing that you, you, you basically saw the error of your ways. You, you, you know, you sinned publicly, and so now you're coming back in publicly. You didn't sneak back in the back door, okay, everything's cool. Right. You know, or like we have today, the pastor says, why well, talk to him and everything's fine. You know, they didn't operate that way. It was public. Yeah. But the sin had to be public, too. It had to be something that like everybody knew, something that was causing disruption in the community. Um, that sort of developed later into the private penitentials where you know, sins had their, their little, their kind of their sentence imposed on them, not for forgiveness, but to show that you were kind of you know, sorry, wanted to amend your life, were working at it, kind of things like that. But that was more private, and so everybody was, you know, you come to the priest, and, 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 and he absolved you and then kind of assigned, you know, how many years you had to sit outside in the narthex and how many years before you could come back to communion and blah, blah, blah. The Irish uh, penitentials, there's a whole book's written on these. You know, yeah. you just kind of oh, looked, yeah. you looked up the offense, you know. My, my next-door neighbor in Connecticut was an Irish Roman Catholic guy who grew up in Boston. Oh, yeah. And, and he said... That when they had to go confess, they would go down the street to the Italian Catholic Church because the Irish Catholic priest would make you, you know, do crazy things. Whereas the Italians <laughs> would say, ah, five of Hail Marys, six Our Fathers. You You're good to go. You, you got a, a good deal. <laughs> yeah, see, and the, those early penitentials were not about saying Hail Marys or Our Fathers. They were about how many years you basically were excluded from communion. Right. And, well, and, uh, Ambrose is a good example of that one, where the, the uh, emperor had done some, some bad killing of people that he shouldn't have been doing, and Ambrose held him and, and wouldn't allow him into the church until he climbed the stairs on his knees in penance. Yeah. And, and that could have cost Ambrose's head doing right. that sort yeah, of no thing. Yeah, no kidding. But the, he knew that the... The, the king or the emperor was actually that penitent and, and you know. Yeah, penance penance really was, was a kind of a measure of sincerity of one's, you know, your desire to amend. You realize you did wrong, you're not going to do it again, you know, and, and, and that's right. It wasn't, it wasn't to earn forgiveness, but that's how it always gets turned in the mind of people, right. you know. Yeah. Um, and same with indulgences. Those weren't really to buy forgiveness. That, that, was, that was earned by Christ, but they were designed to kind of buy off temporal punishments, either in this life or in purgatory. And that see, and so Luther inherited the practice of private confession, where he went to the priest, confessed your sins, heard the forgiveness, and then were given works of satisfaction due to offset, you know, thousands of years in purgatory. And uh, the Lutherans reformed that, and they basically said confession had two parts: one, we confess our sins; two, we hear the absolution. But it was still private. It was private. So Luther's service begins with the Kyrie. Luther's mm. service does not begin. That, that's the point here, addressing Josh's question. 
Um, no confession and absolution in the service is not a mark of somebody going bad necessarily. Gone rogue. Yeah, right. I mean, Luther's services, the 1523 Latin, the 1526 German, do not have any corporate confession absolution. Corporate confession absolution came in in the period of rationalism, where the rationalists felt that it was a waste of the pastor's time to sit around and absolve sins with the same formula over and over and over again, when Mm. he could just do it as a group. Mm. So, you know, you had these these things called the Beicht Gottesdienst, the Saturday night confessional service. I thought that was a service for bikers. No, (laughs) that's... He had outreach to Harley uh, types, but but no, but you had the confessional service, and you did that as a group, and it was it, the rationalist view that is just more efficient. Hmm. Pietists didn't like that because the pietists like that one-on-one coaching thing. Yeah, you know. So, you, but but the rationalists they're really big into efficiency, and they were kind of like the first of the church growthers, where you know the pastor you're moving the pastor away from being a pastor to kind of a corporate leader, and it's a waste of the guy's time. That was interesting. A waste of the guy's time to uh, to you know be just sitting around the chancel listening to people's confession and and pronouncing the formula over them when you could do that over a whole group like we were saying like baptizing with a fire hose. This is kind of related. I'm curious your take on this. Say someone comes to you and he confesses, "I've been uh, molesting the kid down the street and I feel really bad about it and I don't want to do it anymore." Um. And and he seems truly contrite. I mean, pastors can't read the heart of man, but um, is it inappropriate to say something to the effect of, you know, your sins are forgiven, pronounce the absolution, but say, as a sign of your repentance, you really need to go talk to the police about this? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I, I <laughs> and, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, a very vigorous conversation going on as to whether uh, pastors should basically rat on him, turn him in. You know, there are laws about, right. you know, concealing child molesters or, or where people are in physical danger. Well, and we are considered mandated reporters by the law. Well, you know, and, and it's, it's a funny thing because it's a left-hand, right-hand kingdom issue. Right. Now, some, some would hold um, that pastors must never divulge what they hear in confession, uh, you know, and that's part of your ordination vow. And, you know, we kind of go back to that, and we have promised that we would never divulge what is heard in confession. And and I would stick to that. I, I think that that uh, right hand kingdom concerns override left hand kingdom concerns for the pastor. But I'd also be I, I'd I'd be very cautious about that. That uh, where where the lives of others are in danger, mm-hmm. uh, where somebody is plotting to do harm to another, or somebody is confessing doing harm on innocent parties, and you suspect that. You know, absolution's no magic. It's not like all of a sudden the child molester, boom, he ain't going to do it anymore. Right, right. Um, that that I, I think that kind of action is is warranted, and perhaps it, from both kingdoms. But uh, you know, as as an exercise of his own repentance, you know, if you claim to be repentant, then the fruits of repentance are there also. And part of the bearing of the fruits of repentance is bearing the left hand kingdom civil responsibility for what you've done. But that means I might go to jail for 50 I'll, years. I'll and visit my, you. <laughs> we'll my do, wife and children will go hungry. I'll and, bring and, you communion, and we'll be sure your wife and children are okay. Yeah. But you got you got to own up to the, this. This you, is why you need to think of these things before you do them. That's, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. No, and, and you can see how people can use that and also turn it into a bargaining chip, too. You know, people use the church. Oh, the, yeah. The, the church is in a great position to be used by people who want to get away with things. 
And, and that's where the Lutheran doctrine of the two kingdoms is really, really helpful. You know, you can be forgiven and go to jail at the same time. There's no contradiction yeah. in that. Right. In fact, it's God's will that you go to jail <laughs> because, because he's established the government for precisely this purpose. Right. And, and I'll bring you communion there. I'll bring you communion. We'll do Bible study, <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. But, but if you refuse that, you are, you are subverting the will of God uh, for you. You know, or or you know, if you take it to court and the the DA says, uh, oh, not enough evidence, or you know, blah blah blah, we're not going to pursue that. Then thanks be to God, God's left hand has spoken too. He's let you off the right. hook. Yeah, but which is worse, uh, for the murderer to get away with murder, or for the murderer to receive the just temporal punishments for his murder? You know, I say it's worse that he get away with it. Yeah, because uh, I mean, how often are people repentant not because they've been struck by the law, but because they've been caught? Right, right. <laughs> you know, well, you know, there there are those who are truly Christians that get caught up in a moment of stupidity or passion or something else, and they you know look back and say, "Oh, that was really wrong," and and you know, right. Yeah, even if they've gotten away with it. I think that's a cool thing. That's the law purely doing its work. Right. Where, like, you know, the, the adulterer, say, has gotten away with this adultery for years and years and years. Wife's never suspected a thing. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And he still has no peace. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, he could, he could get away with it to his life's end, and he has no peace. <laughs> and, and that peace, that's the, that no peace is the law at work. You know, now, do, you go, do you go running tearfully to your wife and confess it? I don't know. I haven't done it. How would you advise somebody on that? In, 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 somebody's really sorry for a past transgression long ago, 20 years ago, and, and, and it's bothered him every day of his life. And so he comes to confession, begs the forgiveness of Christ. You absolve him. And then, then he asks you as a question, should I go and tell my wife? What, do well, you, what would you answer? He's, he's obviously truly repented of this. Is yeah. That, are you saying? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's I'd, a, I'd probably say, has Christ forgiven you of this sin? And if he says yes, then I say, well, then you are forgiven. God remembers it no longer. You need not remember it any longer either. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't have him tell his wife? No, I don't think so. Especially I, if it was a transgression that happened a long time ago and he hasn't revisited that nonsense right, and right, all right, the rest. Right. I, yeah. what, what do you think? I agree. Um, because I, I, I think I, there's this notion that we confess so we feel better about ourselves. And so, so you dump this on somebody else. I've heard stories of people t- confessing these things to like dying wives on their, they're on their deathbed. <laughs> Can't do anything about it. And now. it's like you SOB, you know, you're troubling this person in their dying days. So you can have peace. So you can have peace. Right. You know, that is, that is as self-centered as it gets. You know, I would rather say that memory or that troubling received that as God's, as God's gracious discipline. Yeah. Well, that's a good it's like point too. it's like the prison sentence for the guy who broke the law. Okay, there's no law broken; he's not going to jail. But that you know, like David had to live with the memory of what he had done forever for oh, his yeah. entire life. But he's a forgiven man. He's he's pure and holy before God. I wrote a paper in seminary. I wish I still had it. It was called "Shrinks, Drinks, or Absolution," and it was basically <laughs> how absolution has Excellent been title. has been pla- replaced by therapists and been replaced by bartenders or your barber or anyone but the church. You can't go to the pastor because information is power in our society. Right. And so if you give the pastor this information, he's got power over you. Well, that's because that's because the pastors have taken on too much left-hand kingdom authority on the one hand, and the church has been viewed much too much as a left-handed institution of men. 
Mm. You know, so oh, I'm going to lose my standing in the church and blah, 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 blah. Where, you know, they're not looking at pastor as, as, as Christ, you know, speaking in the person of Christ to absolve them. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he's not, their, he's not their administrator. He's not their leader. He is, he is the one who represents Christ by virtue of office. Unfortunately, by necessity, all those other things have come into being. Also. Oh yeah, you know, it's the devil's scheme to kind of crowd that out. Yeah. Let's let's bring Josh's question just to kind of an end. The, I mean, because it's a great one. It, it brings up all sorts of stuff. But a no, it's not. It's not decisive in a service if confession absolution is not here, not there. However, I would say where it's missing, you ought to have a lively and well used practice of private confession absolution, and where that's missing. Corporate's better than none. I think you know people need to hear that exercise of the gospel. We'll be right back. Just imagine all the wondrous concoctions you could create With those aromatic pork products on your breakfast plate Bacon, flavored ice cream Bacon, scented sunscreen Bacon grease enriched Hand cream or use the grease instead Of Vaseline, bacon smocks Bacon socks, bacon building blocks. Yeah, bacon rocks, yum. Welcome back to the God Whispers. <laughs> Lady Gaga edition. <laughs> this is the bacon song by Jenna Bean Viach. V-E-A-T-C-H. Yeah, no, I spell it carefully. I wasn't I wasn't cussing there. It's Viach. Viach. Uh, it dash jumping bean. Jenna bean viach dash jumping bean. Nice. I don't know if that means and jumping. She has a nice or... voice. Very nice. Isn't but it? it's just a trick. Bacon air freshener, inflatable bacon life raft, hovering bacon space. This kind of reminds me of Lady Gaga's meat dress. <laughs> she had a meat dress. Yeah, she had a meat dress. I don't really eat bacon. <laughs> <laughs> what? A vegetarian. No. That's why I'm obsessed. 
with singing about those strips of flesh. Well, we are the God Whispers. We're going to build a bacon life raft after this. We are, we are lying to ourselves. We- <laughs> That guy. <laughs> that guy. That's all I got to say about that. You don't even have to know what's coming <laughs> up. You just or the evolution of a, or a tiger or anything else. It's... <laughs> I have no idea what that could be in refer- reference to. <laughs> and does it matter really? Tiger. It doesn't really matter. All the things that we learn in the scriptures, they just have to know. God has spoken, and I, oh, God, have mercy on me. Have God have mercy on me. May he. Yeah. Yeah, May he indeed. Harold's still seeking mercy. Uh, As far as I know, they're not teaching anything anymore at FamilyRadio.com since the judgment spiritually happened on... uh, May 21st, and now it's just the lull until the big judgment on That's October right. We're 21st. Just sitting tight, eating bacon sandwiches until the big day. Speaking of the calendar, yes. Why don't we talk about the church calendar a little First, bit? First, I want to say thanks to Josh for that email because that caused us yeah, to very, talk about some You know, stuff. rarely do we get any substance <laughs> in the mailbag. Um, normally, we get. We get uh, um, I am grateful for that. I don't know for what. Every Monday, well, sometimes on Tuesdays, I host Sleeping with Bread, a spiritual reflection mem over. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and you know what? When I when I get those the I get these comments for approval, you know, I just approve them. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I, I leave I leave insanity to speak for itself, you know, and that that's really the beautiful thing. Let's see. Tim, what how, is he... how are we doing on that uh, Viagra endorsement? There, we we getting... working on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tim, Tim says uh, from Lutheran satire. That's Hans Feeney's yes. little thing. Uh, pretty please, pretty please with bacon on top. So uh, you know, it, it it comes from the uh, inquire no more, <laughs> you feral beast. That's that's a tagline there. Let's see. Juliana sends us a picture. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah. Um it's a water cooler uh that has it flavored water to the left snow to the right bacon. <laughs> snow flavored water. And bacon flavored water. Well, that goes without saying everyone has that, don't they? Let's well, yeah, well, you you would think. <laughs> Let's see some Twitter responses here. Joe where does Inquire No More, You Feral Beast, come from? Ah, I got uh, a question about that just last night on Facebook. Did you? Yeah. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the handiwork, the genius of Hans Feeney. Lutheran satire. Lutheran satire. Look it up in YouTube. Uh, that particular episode, I, I forgot. I forgot which episode that was. That... I, I can see the the visual in my mind. There, there's like a farm or a, a pasture or something in the background. Well, like this that. is this is the one where the the, the uh, layman comes up to the pastor saying, "Some people are sane. right, right," and it the some people that are my, wife needs, wife. my wife my wife my wife needs to have more <laughs> soprano solos. <laughs> And and the pastor keeps asking, who's saying this? Who's saying this? And I think finally the response comes, inquire no more, you feral beast. <laughs> Let's see. Got yeah, a- I'd like to give a little shout out to Jonathan Fisk. And uh, 
this little. Is this for Fisk? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is uh, not the REM version. You might get away with this one in the Philippines, John. <laughs> yeah, here's a hint. <laughs> this one is Scary Kids Scaring Kids. Mm. So just a little hint for you, Fisk. Uh, this one might work for you. <laughs> okay. You have to go indie. <laughs> indie people actually like when they rip you off, when you rip them off. <laughs> I just saw that in my playlist, and I thought I'd, I'd throw out a little shout-out to Jonathan Fisk, who... who Apparently got some grief in the Philippines. Yeah, from the Philippines. Uh, I guess there's got the, a big there's the Filipino... land of law-abiding citizens. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess he's got a big Filipino following. I'm not sure, but well, uh, whatever. There you go. There's an alternate to the uh, REM. One. You know, that's the beauty about indie artists. They they actually love it when you rip them off because it's called free advertising, right. and especially when you say "scary kids scaring kids" repeatedly on your podcast. That means that maybe they'll sell another ninety-nine cents worth. On <laughs> right, that's iTunes. right. They'll make another buck. Yeah. So, and we we hope that because we're in to support the little guy. And that can be of any anyone. So, yeah, I mean, we don't we, we <laughs> don't uncanny. Dis- we don't discriminate it's at all. It's just uncanny how they work. No matter they it, are the first. They're the ones that have had the Bibles all their years. Yeah, you know that we start there. <laughs> <laughs> These are truly unplanned, just <laughs> random occurrences that seem to almost every time work. Random Harold. We'll get a cease and desist. Well, Harold really can't issue a cease and desist because, I mean, he's ceased and desisted a long time ago. Well, we'll, we'll honor that uh, after the 21st of October. Very we'll, much, we'll, very uh, much so. Yeah. We'll go ahead. We'll meet him in court on October 22nd. And they have... They're not. They're not. They don't have an understanding of the truth of the Bible. They have an, or their own understanding. Have you that would be talking the, about us, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the question was, what do you think of the God whisperers? <laughs> ever wondered? Have you ever wondered? Yes. Just think about this for a moment. <laughs> there are many, many denominations, yeah. and everyone. If you happen to be a Roman Catholic, you are convinced this is the best church in the world. If you are a Presbyterian. In your, this is the best church in the world. If you are 70 Adventists, this is the best church in the world. <laughs> that is, everyone belongs to the denomination that they belong to because they believe that is the best. No, you know, th- no. He, he makes a really good point there. When w- One of my best friends in New London was uh, uh, the American Baptist pastor, total lefty. Uh, head of a, uh, a, a socialist clergy association, vegetarian, you know, whole nine yards. And one day we're having lunch and we're arguing about something, as always. And he said, you just think the Lutherans are right, don't you? Right. And I said, and you're a Baptist because you think they're wrong? Is that <laughs> right? Yeah. That's <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I joined this church because it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. If you sit down and read their un- understanding, the Roman Catholics have their understanding of the Christian religion, the Methodists Oh, have no, theirs. he's going to go down the, the list again. How theirs. come Lutherans don't get the, any airtime here? Mormons have theirs. Mormons. And so on. And you'll find that not any two of them are in agreement. They all have all kinds of different conclusions. Because? Yeah, they all claim they... They, it all came from the Bible. So what does that tell you? <laughs> that most only one of them could have it accurate because it, God doesn't talk out of both sides of his mouth. It just shows that what the churches call their Christian religion isn't necessarily from the Bible. Maybe- now, here's the beautiful thing. 
he claims he's got it right. Yeah, and what really irks me here is globally, Lutheranism is the number two faith group in the world, and we never get a shout out. What number two? Nah. Yeah, population wise. Nah. What? Not Missouri Synod Lutherans, nah. but Lutherans around the world. Catholic and Orthodox first. No, think about uh, Catholics, then Lutherans, then Orthodox, I think. I doubt it. I'm pretty we'll sure because you, you have to, to remember, especially until about 20 years ago, and remember, there were, there were Lutheran countries where if you were born in that country, you were by default, quote unquote, a Lutheran. But that's how it is in Orthodox countries, too. I mean, you're in. You're in by so being like in. Greece. Russia. Russia. I mean, they probably lay claim to a lot more than actually would lay claim themselves. Well, yes and no, because atheism was the official religion of Russia for official. But you know, but I'm, I'm talking about people. So. You know, you ask them, you ask them, are you are you are you Orthodox? Oh, yeah, I'm Orthodox. So when's the last time you went to church? Uh... Well, just like Lutherans, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, Lutherans are more ABC type Christians. Like like yeah. like like Luther says, you know, we go back to the Catechism. Like we go, like a little child returning to his ABCs. We're ABC Christians. We're anything but church. Right. Right. So you know, there's beach, there's mountains, there's uh, you name it. But but any anything but church. I, you know what I love? I, I love the the I can't I couldn't come to church because you know I'm working on this this this. Ow, that was man. Me. There's there's that injury. Oh yeah, man, you're you're hurt there. <laughs> Funny bone. I see blood. There's nothing it. funny about the funny bone. That wasn't the funny bone. That was your knee. That's funny bone in the knee, the patellar tendon there. But that's not, that's in your elbow, it's funny bone. There's nothing funny about that either. I, you know what? You Chicago people, you don't know that there are multiple funny bones. Well, we, a- we do know how to whack knees, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's that's the nobody, pit, of your, pit of your gut pain no, going on right now. Nobody whacks a knee like a Chicago, and I'm telling you. But- <sighs> But, you know, this, this idea that I, oh, I've got to, and I'm not talking about people like whose vocation it is that they have to work Sundays, you know, right. emergency workers, doctors, this and that. But I'm talking about people who voluntarily work uh, or, or work on side projects, you know, their investment thing or something like that. And it's like, yeah, you, you, you expect God to bless this now, right? You know, you don't got you don't have ninety minutes to hear his word before you go off and and do. I you know I go back and think about that that parable of the the rich fool who's got this bumper crop of of grain and is sitting at his kitchen table drawing blueprints for more barns and more silos. And, and God says, <laughs> "You fool, idiot!" <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's dead. He drops dead. The you know over his blueprints. I, I mean, I have this vision of the guy, you know, on his kitchen table, midnight oil burning blueprints of all his grandiose building plans and boom he's just nailed by but, one but massive pastor cardiac. you don't you don't understand sundays are the only days that my kids get to play soccer maybe it's starting they don't schedule it on the saturday theologians have twisted it a little bit uh, <laughs> here and there to make it satisfactory to what they exactly i mean they're just twisting it to make it satisfactory <laughs> to what they want to say hey let's get to our topic because huh, i'm getting that? nowhere convincing you that i'm right about everything church year Church here. Hey, first of all, we're working allegedly on a series on the liturgy. Loosely. Yeah. We'll and, get there. We're going to go through the liturgy, and, different uh, parts of it. Pastor David Kind has written a nice little book on it. And I've I got promised the hardcover. him that if he gave me a free copy, I would plug him hard and often here on the God Whispers. <laughs> and so you may pick up this book called About Our Liturgy by David. What's his middle initial? David A. Kind. A. Kind. He is a kind. He is a kind pastor too. He has a very, 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 very kind soul. And uh, <laughs> anyway, you can get yours at ULCMN. That's University Lutheran Chapel, Minnesota. 
dot uh, org slash bookstore. So go to ulcmn.org slash bookstore. Pick up yours today, and he will appreciate the proceeds greatly, I'm sure. Well, yeah, and he's done a really nice job here. But yeah, it's, it's, it's about it's a great little book. Uh, 60 pages or so, well-referenced. Uh, and he just kind of takes you all the various parts of the liturgy, a little bit brief uh, history of it and uh, the scriptural basis. And uh, I really, this is a really very handy little booklet uh, about our liturgy. So, uh, David Kind. Good resource. And University we'll be, we'll be referencing Chapel. it kind of early and often through the show. Before, you know, before we hit church here, and yeah. I, I know we're under 15 minutes now because I'm staring at your very cool iPad clock, which I really like a lot. I want, boss. I, I want to get that, that program. I think it was a free app. Running Timers? Uh, What's the name know, of the program? Clocks or something clocks, like that. Right. But um, but I think before we get into church here, I think I, we should we should talk about um, the distinction between symbol and sacrament. Okay, I think um, that uh, when when we say sacrament, first of all, we mean something that God does for us salvifically. That that you know that that God in Christ is saving us, and He does it through the sacramental Word. Uh, but this is stuff that God does. So baptism, Lord's Supper, preached word. We talked about confession, absolution. Those are sacramental acts of God by virtue of his word. Symbol are things that we do. To, they're like visual aids. They're, they're, like, they're, they're things that we do to teach. And so the word that runs those is our word. We interpret them. So we hang crosses on the wall. We put, we put uh, strips of cloth on the altar. Uh, we wear robes or stoles, or we have stained glass. Uh, all of these are symbol, and uh, we interpret those. We we determine what they mean, and they're intended to kind of reinforce what you hear. So they're like visual words, but but uh, you know, symbols symbols are kind of under our control. Sometimes the symbols come out of uh, pragmatic use, and then we attach a sacred meaning to exactly. it. Exactly. Yes, you like know, candles. Yeah, the, those were for light. Oh, that's what they use those for. Just <laughs> trying to remember. Or you know, yeah, it's like yeah, we use them for light. And then somebody invented, uh, you know, Edison invented the the light bulb, and so candles now are ceremonial. Right. But well, we still do them though. You have a nice romantic dinner, and what do we put? We put candles on the table. Do we yeah, need them? Nice, no. You it's could, a nice warm light. Yeah, you could just space. dim the lights too. But uh, one of, one of the things, uh, Pastor Ian Pacey out at the University Lutheran Chapel in Arizona in Tucson. Uh, was doing his doctorate in liturgics, and uh, he he was telling me that the veil that we put over communion, I, I didn't really think about it before he was talking about it. it, was simply because in the big cathedrals, you'd get birds nesting yep. in the rafters, and you wanted to keep the poop out of the communion elements, so well, you just put a veil over it's it. It's one reason you go to the old cathedrals, and you'll see that the altar itself is covered by a baldachin. Yeah, and, right, and a so, little umbrella, yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that too was designed to kind <laughs> right. of like keep things. It's like your patio umbrella, you know. I'm sure it is, but it took on the uh, significance of what, the cloud that led the Israelites or something like no, that? No, I, I think it's more the, the throne, the king. You know how the king's, th- uh, the king's portable throne is always covered? So oh, the, probably so the birds don't poop on him. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. It's, it's amazing how much of our liturgy revolves around bird poop. Yeah, right. yeah. That. well, those those cathedrals, you know, even the sparrow <laughs> finds a place in which to nest her young, and occasionally they right. all poop, you know, and, <laughs> and they don't seem to care where. So, uh, But you're right. Uh, you know, another one is is that famous red light that's in uh, almost every Lutheran church. I love it, the red candle, which, which we call the eternal light, even though yeah. it only works for seven days if you have the kind that we do. It's oh, a, we've got electric. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's eternal so long as Edison is cranking the juice. Right. Well, and I'm thinking if we get some of these new LED lights, we won't have to change that bulb for another 20 or 30 years. So that's, <laughs> yeah, right. that's pretty good. Yeah, ours is a, a, a candle. It's a paraffin candle in a, in a sleeve, and it burns for about six days and change. So every seventh day, you got to change it. So it's a That requires candle. work. Yeah, it does. It gives yeah. the altar guild something to do. But, but, uh, but you know, it's amazing how this is almost <laughs> standard issue in most Lutheran churches, and and originally it's 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 a Roman Catholic uh, thing, and it served more than symbolic value. It was a signal, uh, a reminder that the the consecrated body of Christ was present, reserved in the tabernacle for your adoration and yeah, devotion. That's right. And so it's the tabernacle light. This is the red light that, that reminded the faithful that, you know, Christ was boxed up in the tabernacle over there. And, and Go worship ate, the box. Pay it due reverence and be, that's, <laughs> that's where you say your prayers to the, the blessed sacrament, you know, the Corpus Christi. Now, of course, we don't do that with the, we, we don't in general reserve uh, you know, the consecrated uh, host of the Lord's Supper. A few and, of our guys do. Yeah, yeah. But, they usually end up swimming the Bosphorus but, but on, on us. Yeah, but, but, on, <laughs> but unless, you're, unless you're doing that, that, see, so that symbol has been reinterpreted to being, you know, a symbol of Christ's eternal or at least seven-day renewable presence. <laughs> but yeah it's amazing how much we argue over symbol you know because sacrament is kind of defined by god do this in remembrance of me as a non-negotiable right uh you know baptize you know make disciples of all nations baptizing and teaching that's a non-negotiable but but uh you know what the pastor wears or you know how many candles we have on the altar but there stuff. are certain things that are kind of crossover and you, you and they cause actual theological uh questioning well and like like the individual cups versus the common cup yeah see that's a great example is that in the category of symbol or sacrament uh or sacrament now it's probably not in symbol because we don't interpret it do we um we don't we don't uh, make an interpretation about the individual cup. So it's not a symbol. It's a convenience. It addresses hygiene concerns, real or imagined. Right. But it's not a symbol. Now, the single cup is a symbol. It symbolizes our unity. Well, the, You know, the, we all drink of one cup as we all partake of one loaf. But interestingly, nobody raises the same objection about the, the little stamped-out wafers. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Although the Bible interprets both the cup and the loaf uh, in terms of unity. Now, this is the blessing of pastoring a small church, is we actually have the large wafers that break up into many pieces. And, and that's uh, all you use is one of those? Yeah. Yeah, okay, so that would, that, that would, that, that would fit. That would be consistent. Yeah, and so, so that's really—I uh, just decided, hey, we, we're small enough. We can use one of these big guys that breaks up in a— 35 or 40 pieces, whatever it breaks up into, and uh, we can do that for services. But I realize if you've got, you know, five or 600 people in worship on a Sunday, that's not going to work so well, unless right. you get like a seven-footer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You just wheel it out. I'll bet know? it exists, too. Um, <laughs> like that huge incense ball they swing around in Spain. Or I bet you there's some humongous chalice that you can't possibly pick up. Right, you know, right. And... It's got a big crank on the side that yeah. you just kind of... <laughs> 
<laughs> but there, there tends to be sort of the you know things lapsing off into absurd land. But, but you do make a point that in in the institution of the supper, Jesus took his cup and he gave it to his disciples. Right, they all had their own cups. Well, I don't know whether they did or didn't. There's there's, there's discussion over that, but I think it's pretty clear that there's a singular cup which is distributed amongst the disciples, whether they did or didn't have their own in front of them. Now, is there any tradition? I, I never even thought about this before, so I don't know. Is it, Do you know of any tradition in the Passover where there would only be one cup? No. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Either. I mean, there they... they they, I, th- I think it was more like drinking toasts. You know, they had four separate right. cups of wine at, at the time of Jesus. You know, it's interesting in the original Passover, Exodus 12, there's no wine. Interesting. Um, Never thought about see, that that's all either. later development. Hmm. Um, you know, and that, that's something, but, and it's interesting, well, but it's different. It, the Exodus event is different than the ongoing event, you know, because wine is, wine is a, a beverage of celebration, joy, blah, blah, blah. The first Exodus, they, they had no access to such things. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the question is, is that cup part and parcel of the institution? Well, it's in the words, you know, he, it's in the history, at least around the words. Right. He, and, it, and it tells how he did it. Yeah, and, and you can see... After he blessed the cup... You, you can see how we try to kind of crowbar, uh, get, get a little bit of daylight there, because, you know, is the cup essential of the Lord's Supper? Is um, a single loaf of, of unleavened Passover bread, is that essential? Uh, must it be wine? Can it be grape juice? You know, and 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 see, all of those are those are cracks of daylight. Uh, you know that that eventually separate the what you do from what the Lord said. See, the grape juice is a problem because efforts have been made to keep it from becoming wine. Is pasteurization right? 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 So Louis Pasteur has ruined communion for so, many people. So we'll take that up when we get to, to the Lord's Supper. But but at, le- at the very least, let's let's talk about church the church year. Yeah, we've got five minutes. Which left, is a, so which is a which is a contra- That's a man made thing. I mean, right. the, the the Old Testament had a church year. It had prescribed feasts and festivals. The New yeah. Testament does not. Right. Uh, in fact, Paul's very clear in Romans 14 that one man esteems one day better than another, while another man esteems all days alike, and everyone should be fully convinced in his own mind, um, so that he who honors a particular day honors it to the Lord, or does it in honor of the Lord, uh, just as he eats or drinks in honor of the Lord, etc., and he who doesn't, same way. So so this is really in that land of Adi Afra, that right. is, there's, there's nothing commanded about days, not even Easter. You can't condemn Christians for not celebrating <laughs> Easter, Christmas, any of that stuff. Um, well, there there seem to be two lines of thought on this, if I'm not mistaken. One is the church here revolves around the festival dates, and then one is that it revolves around the Trinity, or well, just that's a Trinitarian formula like all, to the church here. Yeah, but see, I think the Trinitarian thing, which if we have time we'll talk about, um, which I, I first heard from John Pless, um, that's... Um, that's an interpretation. I, I don't. The church year does not originate around the Trinity, but it's a reinterpretation of the symbol, and it's a good one. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea being that the cycle of Christmas, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany is the season of the Father. 
So the Father sends his only begotten Son. The Son is begotten of the Father. Um, the, uh, the season of Lent and Easter is the season of the Son. The Son lays down his life as a sacrifice for the sin of the world, dies, rises, ascends. And then the season of Pentecost is the season of the Holy of course, Spirit. Yeah. You know, the ascended Christ breathes out his Spirit. Yeah, that's not a bad way of looking at the church here. I, I mean, I, I like that, and I think Trinitarian's always a good way to go. Was it originally conceived like that? Probably not. I I don't know. I I haven't ever heard that from anyone in St. Louis. I have heard it from some Fort Wayne friends who graduated, so they, they probably got it from Pless. I first saw it in, in something that John Pless had written on catechetics and the liturgy, and, mm. and it's good. I mean, I use it when I teach the—I the, uh, use it as a way to look at the church year. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't fully explain everything, and it, it's not necessarily the origins of it. <clears throat> The earliest festival in the church was cross and resurrection. What we celebrate is the three holy days of Easter, the triduum. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes back to early centuries. No, I should correct that. The earliest Christian celebration was Sunday. Right. The Lord's Day. Which yeah. is a mini Easter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exa- exactly. I mean, it was, it was basically a weekly commemoration of the resurrection of our Lord. And uh, that's, that's the earliest Christian festival. Did not replace the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath's abrogated, it's done. Right. Uh, but instead, it, it, it recognized that Sunday was uniquely the first day of a new creation, the day of resurrection, blah, blah, blah. Annual celebration uh, coinciding with the Passover of the cross and the resurrection of our Lord. And then later, you know, the other days start to sort of pile on. Uh, we're, about, we're approaching Pentecost, which was actually an Old Testament day. It was the 50th, yes. the 50th day after Passover. Originally, it, it celebrated the ingathering of the wheat har- the winter wheat harvest. So it was like a Thanksgiving day. It was a harvest day. Uh, but at the time of the apostles, at the time of the book of Acts, it was also a day to celebrate the Torah and the giving of the Torah to Moses on Sinai. I'm trying to remember how we calculate Easter. It's the first Sunday after the first full moon of the spring equinox. The spring equinox. Western, Western Easter. East East does it differently. Yeah. So, how did how did that occur? Do you know? You know that's the big that's the big uh, Easter controversy and stuff like that. And with one minute eighteen seconds to go, we can't really even scratch the surface of that one. <laughs> Although interestingly, the last two years consecutively now, East and West have been together on uh, on Easter. They were this year. They were last. I, year I wonder too. what Harold Camping has to say about. You know, that. he probably. <laughs> why, why don't you click on that and see what he has Let's to say? Let's consult him. <laughs> you, you never know. I mean, the old the old guy's got an opinion on everything here, and so they ended up with an entirely different Christian religion, or substantially different than all the other denominations. The well, there West. Yeah, see, right. you know, I mean, he's he's right on target there. <laughs> Good old Harold. So, he kind of misses the whole Filioque controversy, but I think he's onto something. So, you know, in a uh, nutshell, <laughs> I think if you think of the church here, basically has three major festivals, Christmas, Easter, Pentecost. Um, and and they having, well, Christmas or, or, you know, Easter has its preparatory season in Lent and its kind of follow-up season in the seven weeks following or Christmas has Advent and Epiphany. You know, you've got the start of it. We'll pick it up next time. Catch you next time. And so it tells you, that's why in family radio, if you have listened at all, what do we emphasize? The Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. My life as it should be. He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible.
He's one who will never leave you flat. Jesus is and a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. You just have to keep studying the Bible and know I have a friend of Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to pray and how to save my soul. He taught me how to praise my God and still play rock and roll. The music may sound different, but the message is the same. It's just an instrument to praise his name. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend.